toxic business and how evil it is. But while you were going through it, I mean, it must be... So if we go back to you being a show band drummer, mm-hmm. your goal at that point was just to make money. But ultimately, the goal would have been to be in a band that was all original stuff. Is that what you're hoping to do? You know what? I don't even know uh, if, that was, if that was the case. Back then, I was so new. Because like, I didn't start playing until I was like 18 or 19, which right. is... Pretty late, you know. Most guys start a lot sooner than that. I kind of came into it late in the game, and so, you know, I'm twenty some odd years old. Like, 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 I I didn't really. Uh, I don't think I had developed myself to that to that point where I was even beginning to think of doing original stuff. When I first arrived in Toronto, I just wanted to play. Okay. I wanted to play with good musicians. I wanted to get better. I wanted to play with, well, you know, that's how you get better. You play with guys that are better than you are, you know. And, uh, and uh, I mean, that's why I've been playing with Kevin Bright for forever, because I'll never be anywhere near that, <laughs> as good as that guy. <laughs> really, truly, like, he's, a, he's an amazing, Yeah. I mean, amazing. I'm, I'm amazed I play with him, <laughs> you know, really. What would have been the thing... While you were learning to play the drums, was there ever a point where you learned something and you thought, wow, I, that's just a game changer? Was there ever a moment where you learned something or something Well, happened? you know, being, like being in, starting Panama, that original band, right. because we were, we were a bunch of guys who we'd always played with other people. None of us had written our own songs, and, but we all had played everything. Like we we'd we'd played everything from from the Stones to Steely Dan, right? You know, in, and you in still play Steely Dan, right? I did for fifteen years. I was in Pressel Logic. Right. Oh, you're not there? No, I, I'm not. I haven't okay. been in the band for a couple of years now. But I I did did that for a long time. But so we had all this music in us, and uh, like Leonard Shaw, the this the keyboard player, sax player, he's he's in the Guess Who now. He he was he was one of the members, and then Sandy Chachanov, the bass player, who's back in Winnipeg now. He was he was, you know, he grew up listening to Charles Mingus, and you know, I mean, he had a lot of, and then playing in down and dirty blues bands in Winnipeg. Right. Like so, there was a lot of music there, and we just we just I don't know how it even happened. It was oh I know, I do know how it happened. Here's how it happened: uh, a singer was advertising looking for a band. So, and we all decided, well, we got to find a way to play together. And then this guy was looking for a band. So we went and met up with him and he hired us to be in his band. And, uh, and he wanted to write songs. So we all started kind of writing communally. And then we ended up kicking him out of the band. <laughs> I'm not going to say his name, but we ended up like, you know, something went down and we right. ended up, so we ended up, here we are, we're, we're in a band now, we're doing original tunes, this guy's gone, and, well, now what do we do? Well, why don't we just see if we can just keep doing this? <laughs> it was like, it was like a strange series of events, you know, so we, we just started writing more, and we started playing, and we went to the agency, which was the big agency at the time down right. in Toronto, 
And they sent us to New Liskard and Sudbury and what they always do with new bands. Right. Windsor, you know, we were on the road forever. Haleberry. And, uh, but that's also a great lesson, right? I mean, one constant thing I hear from musicians is how back then when you played six nights a week, there's no education like that now. And also, here's something we learned in that band. We were playing the stuff we liked. Mm -hmm. Like we were playing either original tunes. About half of our show was original tunes, which if you don't have a record out, that's ridiculous. Nobody's going to, you know, right, right. who wants to hear your tunes? Who, what are your tunes? Nobody wants, they're, they're not interested, right? So we were doing that in the bars and we were playing cover tunes by Steely Dan, Doobie Brothers, Frank Zappa. Like, not exactly like, you know, top 40, right? right? And we we're kind of like playing in bars that were, top 40 bars or hard rock bars you know they wanted Les Zeppelin or whatever right? right and it was it was something else you know because we had to learn we were even doing we were even doing a couple of instrumentals by Weather Report <laughs> you know we were out of our minds when I think back we were out of our minds thinking we could do that in Winnipeg you could do that in Winnipeg you could do almost any kind of music and people would accept it you know for some reason and, and it's the time it was the right. time too you know, late sixties, early seventies, everybody's high. Yeah. You know, they're, they're way less critical. Right. But, uh, I'm talking like, you know, late seventies now and people just, they don't want to hear that. So we, but we had to, we had to learn how to go into a place like Sudbury, go into a heavy rock bar where Gatto played the week before and convince these people that we were doing something interesting. And we learned how to do that. Right. We went up there and we played Jungle Waterfall by Chick Corea, but we played it so rocky and edgy and we had the lights and, you know, we pumped it out and we convinced people that that was rock and roll. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. Like, we would do things like we, we played White Room by Cream and we'd put like a, sol a sax solo in the middle of it in 11-8, you know, and we would actually go over in these places in new liskard <laughs> places like this you know for for the first little while people wanted to punch us out like the locals hey, you know, we're gonna get you after the you know and and but we we just with our attitude and, and we just rocked it out and we just we just convinced them that this was rock and roll you know? so well that was an amazing thing to learn how to put your music across right in a convincing way you know I don't even know why it worked. <laughs> we actually, we actually figured out how to make that work, though. But that so was there a goal? Was there a goal now to record an album, or did you have this thing? Well, we wanted to, yeah. But I mean, after blowing the thing with Ray Daniels and Anthem, like we it was, we, we were, we were like, now what do we do? You know. By that time, my wife had been put through the ringer with her record deal and we backed her up on a tour across Canada. We were opening for Jerry Doucette and uh, Doug and the Slugs and people like that. And, uh, and then we played in Europe and, and then uh, by that time she was kind of fried and you know her album was deleted already. She'd been dropped. Right. Yeah, so she was all depressed and messed up. <clears throat> and uh, I, I, 
quite frankly, by that time, I just had it with the music business, with the business, well, I can, I the recording, why. the recording artist part of the music business. I just looked at it and went, "This is bullshit. This is just bullshit. This is just pain, painful experience after painful experience after letdown after letdown." You know, like it's just like, is it really worth it? Like to try and go out there and go, "Hey, look at me," you know, like. Like by the time I was, I, I, I'd say by the time I was 26, 27, I, I had already just written that whole idea off. So of it becoming comes down to just artist. playing live and... I just want to play and have fun. I just want to play, play with some decent musicians and have fun while I'm still here. <laughs> you right. know, that, that's where I was at by then, you know. And I mean, that's still my attitude. I mean... I love recording and everything. It's great. It's fun. But I don't take it, uh, you know, so seriously that my whole life depends on what happens to this next, you know. Like, that's long gone. That, that, so know. from that experience that you went through, you just decided my focus is going to be more on playing. and Yeah. And I started getting into stuff like, you know, when I moved to New York, my wife and I, we moved to New York in 1983. She'd sort of had it with her you know, recording career, it was kind of gone. So she, but she loved singing and she loved singing jazz too, not right. just rock. She loved singing jazz. She was good at it. So she thought, well, let's go to New York and just, I've always wanted to go there. Let's go and see what we can do. And I, and I <laughs> didn't have any big plans. So I, I, I just sort of went along with her. I just sort of went, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, put her stuff in storage, moved to Manhattan. Nice. Moved into the East Village. And it was an exciting time to be in the East Village. What year? 83. Okay. It was the, you know, it was, the East Village was still the East Village of taxi driver. <laughs> no, <laughs> steam coming out of the sewers <laughs> and transvestite hookers on the corner and people shooting up in the in deserted buildings. It, it still was that back then. And there was a lot of um, art like like Jean-Michel Basquet and people like that were, were, you know, hitting the scene. And so there was little art galleries cropping up. Like, people would just open up an art gallery in a deserted building right. and put up a sign until somebody busted them and made them leave, you know? But they would just... That's, <laughs> that was the art scene. It was... And, and imp improvising uh, music uh, spaces were the same way. Like, I met these two crazy Italian guys, like, from Italy, who had come to New York to do some wild and crazy things. And they, uh, they wanted to open up an art space. So they found one of these deserted buildings. They put up a sign called the Red Door. And they showed art. And they had improvising groups. And, like, heavy people would go in and jam there. Like, like I, you know, I'd go in there and... and and John Zorn would be in there improvising one night, or you know maybe a couple of the guys from the lounge, lounge lizards would be in there the next night, and and I had my art on the walls. Like they they gave me a couple of art shows in that space, and at one point I was playing with my first improvising group that I put together in New York, and my art was on the walls, and I was playing my music, and I'm going, man, I'm in New York, <laughs> I'm a New York artist. <laughs> What what are you playing at that point? What uh, instrument? Are you still oh, drums. drums? Oh, okay. oh no, drums still. But I I, I I had a bass player, guitar player, drummer, uh, myself, and sax player. And 
I started doing this thing because like, I, I went and saw John Zorn and I went and saw all these guys doing their improv things and I thought, you know, you don't have to write music. I could just like, you know, tell guys what the concept is and, you know, sketch out a few ideas and we'll just do it. We'll just make it up. And that's what we did. And I, I, I sort of got turned on to really just total impro improv there. And I, I mean, I, I've done six or seven uh, recordings like CDs that you know, I'll give you. I'm, I'm going to give you one of them today. But tell me, tell me what the mindset is when you do improv music because obviously it's not a mass market mm. appeal. So it's strictly for the love of the art that you're doing it. Really, it is. But it's it's a pure. It's just a pure act of creativity. It's a pure act of creation. You're getting together with with some individuals and you're just gonna just jump in and you have no idea what the hell is gonna happen. You're just gonna trust in each other and trust that you have the skills to make something interesting happen. And do you know when it does or when it doesn't happen? Well, you can, you have a, a certain, yeah, you can tell if it like, oh, this is shit, you know, but I mean, I had a backup uh, system for that. <laughs> Like, like I always had these written instructions that I gave everybody. Kevin can tell you about this too, because Kevin was, when I came back to, uh, from New York, I put together a group called Pink Ships that was an improvising band, and Kevin was in it. And he's he's on the. I brought you the CD actually too, so you can hear that. But he he'll tell you. I would just hand everybody a sheet that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and I go, okay, we're gonna start on number one. And then we're going to do whatever this says. It might say drifting clouds <laughs> in, a, in, in the key of A. And, and, and the other guy's instructions might say, uh, you know, scampering ants. You know, whatever. I'm just, right. you know, they'll just be like instructions with a key. With a key. So everybody's in this same key. And then if something interesting was happening... They don't. They don't have to watch me. I, I set up sideways, facing the band, so they have to keep their eyes on me, right? And if if it started to get kind of boring, or I just thought, okay, we've had enough of this, then I would just cue everybody to go to the next number. So we go to the next number, and hopefully that would develop into something interesting. If it didn't, I'd cue the next number, you know. And so you never knew how long the piece was going to be because you never knew how long each each number was going to be. And is it easy to know if it's interesting from an audience point of view when you're up there being the musician? Well, it was probably a, it was probably a lot more <laughs> it was probably to be totally honest, it was probably a lot more interesting for us playing it than it was for people listening to. Right. Although we did we did have a lot of people that really liked it. I mean, I I I had another improv group called Strange Attractors. And that was with Kevin Bright and Tommy Griffiths on bass and Glenn Hall, who's a, a pretty crazy jazz sax player. Who's still so we're talking there. musicians of a certain caliber. Yeah, they're right? good musicians. And we, we played, we only did a few gigs, but we got a gig, somehow we got a gig at the, at the Toronto Jazz Festival uh, at the uh, Cameron House or the Rivoli. It might have been the Rivoli. And... We, we made the front cover of the Now magazine. I, I, or not the Now magazine, the I magazine. Right. I magazine. And uh, we're on the cover. 
I, I don't know, somebody liked us. They came on there and said, well, these guys are really wacky. I'm going to put these guys, you know, and we ended up like, the band was, we only did two or three gigs and then the band didn't exist anymore. You know, but, it, but, but it, you know, it was, it was cool. We went over great. People liked it. I mean, it's something like that. You're either going to like it or you're not. Right. You know, it's like, uh, it's like going to see, uh, uh, you know, modern dance piece. Right. Like <laughs> when I first dated, dated my wife, I got some comps to a, a modern uh, dance premiere. Right. And I mean, real abstract stuff, right? And I, I thought, well, this will be a great date. You know, I took her, you know, we're sitting there and we're right in the front row. And, and, you know, all these people are wiggling around on the floor and going, coffee, coffee, and, you know, jumping around <laughs> and stuff. And the first piece was over and she elbowed me and she said, can we go now? <laughs> she, just, she hated it. Did you like it? Actually, I didn't, I didn't like it that much either, you know. <laughs> But it, but it was it was an improv, and I knew it was going to be weird, you know. But she but she's not a she's not a big fan of the Sisters Euclid. She's she just doesn't really hear that, you know, which mm -hmm. is okay. Yeah. She just doesn't hear, you know, that kind of abstract improv stuff. She just her, her ears just aren't tuned to that. So do you think? Do you think the the fact that you went through these heartbreaks and maybe heartbreaks not the right word, but some of the disappointments of the music business in your early in early in your career, would that have attributed to you going this way to the improv, which is maybe the extreme other end of things where you, it's I, not about... I, I think it was, uh, no, I actually think it was environmental. I, I moved to the East Village in New York and mm -hmm. that's what was happening. I mean, I lived a block away from John Zorn. He lived right around the corner. I gave him tapes to listen to and, you know, it was just a really hotbed for people just improvising and doing weird improv paintings and it was just it was just uh there was a lot that energy was there at that time you know and so i just sort of thought well the hell i'm gonna i'm gonna do this this will be fun and it was and it was it was it was enough fun that when i came back to toronto i started doing it mm -hmm. do you remember a guy named nick gotham no yeah he was a sax player he's since passed away, one of those guys. But he, uh, I played with him for a while. Nylon Pereira, I played with him. Like these are all like improvising musicians, you know, Glenn Hall, and uh, they're all really good at that. And uh, I, I just, uh, I mean, that's not all I did. No, I mean, while I'm doing that, I'm playing in in bands, playing, you know, Beach Boys or. Steely Dan or whatever, I, whatever I can do, right? right? I mean, I've I've played with. I mean, over the years, I've played with everybody. Really, I've played with Joan Godbu. I played with Jack DeKaiser for a year. I played with, with a lot of people. You know, like whatever, whatever. You know, I was I was kind of a freelancer for a long, long time. And that was your choice. Well, if you want to work, you got to kind of spread yourself around. You know, if you're not in a big band doing the big thing, you know, if you're not on tour with with Holly Cole or something, right. and what are you gonna do? You gotta play, so you play around the bars. And hey, I need a drummer on Thursday night. And, yeah, okay, yeah, I could do that. And, what are you doing? Oh, it's okay, I'll make it up. Don't worry. I mean, and really, when you're doing that, when you're freelancing, all that all that improvising skill that you've developed, like that being on your toes and you know hearing a note and responding it to it and everything, 
all of that become they become useful tools because you're sitting with a band like sometimes they're doing their own original tunes you've never even heard them right and they go oh it kind of goes like this and you go okay boom and you just get in there and you keep your ears open and you you listen for oh this sounds like it's going to be a bridge here oh it is the bridge you know you're 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 improvising your way through somebody's song you know that's what you're doing i mean every time i play i'm improvising to yeah. a certain extent you know unless i'm playing in a show band or whatever but i don't do those gigs anymore and i don't play in theater gigs i don't do gigs where i mean those gigs those are gigs where you have to do exactly the same thing every gig. I, I've, uh, I've always kind of stayed away from those. That I've never really been interested in doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm more interested in just sort of seeing what's going to happen. So, would it be correct to say that your approach to music and playing, whether it be improv or playing with other bands, would be somewhat similar to the approach to painting? Like, what would be the similarities and differences of how you paint and how you play? Well, the you know. In a way, I don't really differentiate between some of those things. I mean, it depends on the gig. Mm -hmm. Like like the way I paint, which I've, I I just definitely just make stuff up. You know, my wife, my wife, uh, she's fantastic. She's she's you know she doesn't do any art of any kind or whatever. She's you know just different animal than me in so <laughs> many ways, right? I love her to so, death. I'm curious if if she doesn't get some of the music that you play what's the connection well she she <laughs> digs me you know I, I and maybe she likes the fact that i like that you know she, you know something different is interesting right, yeah. right you know but one day she said you know like i go to work and i i know what i'm going to do and i know what the rules are and i know what the parameters are and i work within those parameters and you just go out and you just make shit up <laughs> and i said can i use that I just make shit up because that's what I do. Yeah. I just make shit up, <laughs> and I, get, and that's my living. <laughs> that's how I make my living. You know, it's true. Uh, but okay, so now the other question is your photography. So we kind of touched upon this, but you've done different types of photography. You've done erotic photography. You've done musicians. All kinds. Yeah. When it, well, when I came back from, like I told you, I kind of got, you know. I got kind of got pissed off down on the art on the on the painting scene from being in New York and just seeing how flaky it is. It's just it was just so cliquey and flaky. It just turned me off. So I came home and I wasn't painting. I wasn't doing any visual. I wasn't expressing myself visually. Let's put it that way, right? And uh, my dad gave me this camera. I was in Winnipeg and and my my dad had this. I still have it. It's a fantastic old Nikon film camera, an F3. It was mm -hmm. at in its day in in the early 70s. It was like the camera that most guys used shooting for magazines and stuff. It was it was a heavy camera, right? And he 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 got it from he traded something, you know, golf clubs or something. I don't know how he got it. And he said, you know, I thought I was going to use this, but I'm just going to use my automatic camera. So like, do you think you, you'd be interested in this? And I went, yeah. Sure, I'll take it. So I went and I and I bought some some black and white film because I so always you haven't done any photography before this. No, and I always liked uh, the look of black and white. I mean, I appreciated photography, yeah. definitely, definitely. I mean, I always I loved looking at album covers and the photographs on the covers, and you know, especially black and white 
you know, uh, you know, because I've always gone to art galleries my whole life, right. being interested in art, so I would see lots of that stuff. And but I so I immediately just oh I'm gonna I'm gonna fool around with black and white film, and I did, and I just I've, like I could I've got stacks and stacks of contact sheets like this, like the first three or four years. There's just so much there, and so much of it is just bad. Like, you know, out of 32, 36, out of a 36 roll, I'd get like two or three decent shots and the rest looked like garbage, you know? Because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I didn't know how to use the, the camera. I didn't know anything, really. And eventually, the hard way, just by making mistakes, by making mistakes and spending way too much money on film and blowing roll after roll after roll. Well, and, and in those days... You would have to wait like a week to oh, get the thing back and then... You would, you know I what? missed that. I missed that in a way. Yeah? I used to love that. Like you'd shoot... Like a, I mean, after I got over the first couple of years and I started shooting a little more consistently, right. you know, I, I, I'd, yeah, I'd, you know, you'd shoot the stuff and then you'd go and you'd drop off the row and you'd go like, oh man, you know, I can't wait to see this. And then you'd get back and you'd be like, oh wow. You know, I used to love the, the surprise. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, once again improvising with the right. camera you don't know exactly what you're going to get until you get that back and they go wow that's cool like it's almost like you were involved in a fortunate accident except would you know how that accident happened because my problem was i never knew like there was a couple pictures i took that i thought were pretty neat but there was no way i could duplicate because i didn't know what the settings my were. favorite pictures and and i'm I, i'm taking a lot of really abstract stuff these days like i'm doing stuff like i'm you know putting stuff on a weird exposure and zooming while i'm taking you know like i'm just going for i'm going for an abstract painting right like a lot of the time now uh wow you'll see it on the cover of my latest cd i'll show you but uh you know i i love not knowing what's going to happen I think that's what I love about being alive. <laughs> I mean, really, I think I could sum up what I like about being alive. I like not knowing what's going to happen next. The, the excitement of, like, if I had to know everything that was going to happen, I'd, I, I'd be, I, I couldn't handle it. I'd be bored, you know? Right. So, I mean, it, I might be stating the obvious. I mean, because, I mean, who does know? You know, nobody knows everything that's going to happen. But a lot of people like to know. A lot of people like to... Yeah. To plan, like a lot of people like to put a, a line here and a line here and stay in between those lines. A lot of people like to live like that. I, 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 I don't. I prefer not to really, not to really know, you know. And I mean, I, I not to. And I switch mediums all the time. Like I'll paint for a while and then I then I won't paint and then I'll take a, a bunch of pictures. I haven't taken a picture in months now. But you know, when I do, I'll take a whole bunch of them, you know, and I'll get all excited about something. And then I'll, I'll get more excited about writing songs again. So I'll write half a dozen songs, and then I'll, then I'll be doing the whatever the latest thing that Kevin Wright's doing that he wants me to be involved in. And I'm not involved in everything Kevin Wright does, you know. Like he'll, he he's doing stuff all the time with different people and different situations and everything. I mean, I didn't know that I was going to be doing the Johnny Goldtooth thing. <laughs> he did that. On, he did that album on his own. I went over and I. I was at his house. What was I doing at his house? Oh, I went to take pictures of him as Johnny Goldtooth because he told me about this 
project he was doing at home on the studio. And I went, okay, well, I'll come and do that. And he said, well, I'm going to be dressed up. And I go, okay, fine, whatever. So I went over and took his pictures as Johnny Goldtooth right. before I even heard the songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he, uh, I said, well, let me hear this stuff. Like, what are you doing? Well, it's not finished yet. And I go, well, let me hear a few things. So I went down and he put a few things up. And I went, wow, this is cool. You know, and he explained to me that he did most of it himself. And he just got Davide to come in and do some quick drums. And he got some vibes on these tunes. And he, he explained. And I still didn't know that I was going to be involved in playing, <laughs> pl playing it ever. Right. Until he... He just called me up and said, uh, hey, uh, you, you know, you and Ian, I, th I was thinking you and Ian would be good in this Johnny Colduth project, you know, for the live gig and everything. And, and uh, we're doing this film, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a promotional film. Would you guys be in it? You know, we got to be in character. And he, and he described it to me. And I went, well, this is fucking nuts. Of course I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, uh, once again, what the hell is this going to be? You know what I mean? And I had no idea, really. Right. Really, it was just like... Okay, what are we going to do? Well, I'll give you the tune we're going to do. Still hadn't heard the whole record. Still hadn't, you know, like, here's the tune we're going to do, the gold tooth shuffle. You know, it's just pretty basic, you know, I'm going to cue you in, blah, blah, blah. We, he just explained it to us pretty well there. But I guess 20 years of playing together. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, he trusts us. Right. I mean, obviously, he, he, Ian and I, he trusts us to, you know, to sort of be there. You know, because I've always described the Sisters Euclid as a trapeze act. It really is. I mean, there is songs there, right. and they're brilliant, and they're beautiful, and his writing is, he never ceases to amaze me, the imagination that guy has. But it's always just a loose skeletal form, and he doesn't want it to be the same every time, and he, and he wants it to, at a certain point, it's going to open up, and anything goes... And but but he has to trust us that when it's time to get back, uh, we're gonna back come back and arrive with him. You know, <laughs> like tell me about your relationship with Ian as musicians. How does that work? Because well, obviously that's another a Ian, big part of the rhythm section. Oh, Ian's Ian, Ian, Ian doesn't play like any other bass player. Not just that I've ever worked with, but that I've ever even heard. He's very unique. He's a, he's he's. Uh, any any anybody will tell you that too. Like anybody that works on, you know, like there's nobody that plays like him. Like he's he's got his own particular feel and his own particular approach by because of what he's listened to and absorbed in his lifetime. Plus, he was born in Uganda. Yeah. So he's got African roots, and then I think he lived in England at one yeah. point, and then he, he, he speaks French. I think he I think he might have spent time in Montreal. I can't remember. I'm not sure, but he speaks French. Swahili. Right. I, I mean, and, you know, I mean, this guy's got a lot of different stuff going on in his background, and and it's it's in his playing. And how does it affect your playing? Oh, well, you know, I can't say I really know his playing. Like, like I can't know exactly what he's going to do, but I I am so familiar with his feel, and with his approach to things that I that I know how it's going to feel. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain comfort zone, you know? It's not like a total blank slate here. It's going to be like an Ian D'Souza feel, you know? <laughs> and, you know, like, you know what I mean? It's that, that, that might sound kind of abstract, but it's right. like, 
and and lots of musicians had that. Like if I if I was gonna if I was gonna go play with Carlos Dohunco, who mm-hmm. I have played with, right. like I know what the Carlos Dohunco thing is. You know, it doesn't mean I know exactly what he's gonna do, but right. I, I know what his thing is. You know, and I and and so I really know what I know what Ian's thing is. You know. I mean, it's it's it's. Does that make any sense? No, to no, you? It, it makes total sense. But I just think it's neat that you know, if you've been playing together for twenty years, you must kind of know where he's going to go. That's just in this band. I yeah. played with him before that. I played oh, okay. in a band called Mondo Combo, probably I think about a year and a half or something with Ian, and uh, that was uh, doing blues and New Orleans uh, roots music. Right. You know, a lot of meters and Neville Brothers, Doctor John, that kind of. That was like the precursor to uh, Fathead. Yeah. Like Al Lerman was in right. that band. John Dickey, you know, Earl Seymour, um, Tilden, John Tilden, like like those guys were all. That's and and it was a horn band. It was a two horn band, and it was uh, and, and that was a that was a learning experience being in that band because I'd never really played that like I played a lot of stuff in my life by then but I hadn't played New Orleans music I really hadn't at this point in your career do you look to improve not not that you look to not improve but like how do you make yourself do you think about becoming a better drummer well I hope that I'll just keep becoming a better drummer I and by better is a funny thing too because you know What's better than what, you know? Uh, I like to just think that I'm building my vocabulary as a, as a musician. And not even just as a drummer, but as a musician, the way I think about music. Mm-hmm. Because I sing, I play guitar, and I play drums. Like, I, I, just, I, just, uh, I just hope that I can expand my ability to hear things in a certain way. And to utilize that, you know, like that's my technique. My technique is everything that I have, my whole vocabulary, musical and artistically and visual, everything that's in my that's in my head, from everything I've done and seen and heard and felt and you know, right. experienced. Like, and you just want to keep building that. And how do you build that? Just by keeping your ears and eyes open as you live your life. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know? Yeah. Tell me what you're working on. What do you what's what's coming up in the future? I have I have way more plans than, than I than I will actually ever accomplish, you know. But I, I I'm always thinking about stuff. Like I this record I did of, of my own songs. Right. I'm uh, I mean I did it as a kind of like a I called it my bucket list album. You know, that's what I was telling my friends because I I talked about I wanted to, to, to write songs myself, like to just write them, play them, sing them. You know, I, I wanted to like see if I could do that, right? So is that, Does that come easy to you, hmm? writing songs? Well, that's what my current ex- excitement is. Like I, I've been seriously at it for about six years now. But I talked about it for about five years before I did it. <laughs> I did. I, I just kept telling people, you know, I'm going to write it. I'm going to write my own album. I'm going to write my own album. You know, I, to, I told, I, and I, after, I figured if I tell enough people, I'm going to look like an asshole <laughs> if I don't do it. So, so I better do this. So at, at, at one point, it was like, okay, 
I got to do this. So I went and got a guitar. I bought a guitar from Mike Slosky, actually, you know, uh, uh, an acoustic guitar. And I just started teaching myself how to play, you know. So I, you didn't know how to play guitar before this? No, not really. I mean, I sort of played around a little bit. Like, I, I like one of the, one of the CDs that I'm going to give you is called Soft Electric, and it's instrumental songs that I wrote with a, a keyboard player friend of mine he wrote some i wrote some we wrote a few together but i did write those on guitar but i had no idea what i was just like dung 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 okay there's that chord and then we ding ding ding, ding dun, there's the next chord and then i'll over top of that will go bah, 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 and i had the melody in my head so i'd get together with my friend and go okay here's what we're going to do and you know, so it, I, I mean, I was writing it, but I was writing it like in a really, uh, you know, it was pretty abstract, trying to try, trying to express this to a, to 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 somebody. And know? how would you describe the type of music, or is it all types of music? <clears throat> that of the songs that you're writing. Oh, the songs. Oh, you're gonna have to listen to that. You're gonna have to tell me, because really, I didn't, you know. I didn't limit myself to any kind of style or category or anything because I thought, well, why should I? I'm just doing this. I just wrote, like I've, I've written a lot of songs. Like in the last six years, I've written about 200 songs. Like Jeez. for the first, in the first year, I wrote 120 of them because I just, I did, once I decided to do this, I, I thought, okay, my wife gets up, she goes to work, at 7.30 in the morning, I just put on a pot of coffee and I'm going to write for three or four hours. And I did that, mm -hmm. like, for, for, like, years. And I don't do that now. I mean, I'm not quite that disciplined. But I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to really do this. Right. So I just wrote song after song after song after song after song. And eventually I started figuring out, you know, I mean, I learned what the basic chords were. And I started... Think, you know, and then I go, wow, this kind of sounds like that Johnny Cash song. And so I go on, you know, now you have the computer. Now I go, I go onto YouTube and I, you know, go look up the chords for, and I go, oh yeah, that's an A7. Okay. And this, so I, I, I learned what certain chords were just, you know, that way. Right. And now I can go on there. Now, now once in a while for a lark, I'll go on there and go, oh, Maybe I'll go learn a Bob Dylan song. Maybe I'll learn this song today, and I'll just go on there and I'll learn it just to expand my chord knowledge. Would you, know you ever I mean? play live? Uh, I, I did one gig. I did one gig live, only one. About a year ago, <clears throat> I went and played a, a set at the Moonshine Cafe. They had a songwriter's night, yeah. and they had three songwriters. And uh, you know, we were playing there with the sisters, so I, I I I just said, "Hey, can I get on one of these songwriter nights?" So he stuck me on there. And I did a 40-minute set, and it was okay. You know, I, I, I thought I was going to be, like, freaking out. <laughs> but I actually was all right. I'm used to being on stage. I'm used right. to having people staring at me. But not just sort of sitting out front naked, like, yeah. well, we, with no, no drum drums set. around yeah. me. But it was really cool because a, a really good friend of mine, Kevin Phillips, a singer friend of mine, I work with him every Sunday, he came out and he sat right out in front and he heckled me. <laughs> and it was just the best thing that could have happened. I, I finished my first song, you know, real heartfelt, you know. And he goes, 
Hey, do you know anything sadder than that? (laughs) (laughs) And it really kind of like broke the ice in the room. Everybody kind of, and then I, I, you know, by the third song in, it was like, yeah, no problem. I could do this. (laughs) And it was, it was okay. And will you do more? Well, you know what? I, 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 it's funny because I, I don't have like this incredible urge to go out and do that and sing my 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 songs they're really personal like i don't write songs about trees and cars and stuff i write very personal feelings like they're some of them are pretty dark you know so and was that easy is it easy to reveal yourself in public well if you're writing them well i mean it's easy to write those songs and record them but to go out and, 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 and for me to go, oh, I'm going to go and do a tour and just sing all my sad-ass shit in front of people. <laughs> and, you know, I don't really have this incredible urge to do that. And I, I know people do. Right. And they, go, they, they, they can't wait to go out there and play their new tunes to people and everything. I, I don't really, I'm not really driven to do that. Like, I may do it. I haven't even done a CD release. My CD's been done for months. I haven't even done a CD release for it, you know? And they're not all sad songs. Hmm? They're not all sad songs. Well, a lot of them are on that album. Really? Well, you know, you you can judge for yourself. But is it... There's a couple of up ones, (laughs) but I don't really write up... Bouncy stuff. Is it because it's easy to write sad songs, or do you are you a sad person? Which I, I don't. No, see I'm that. not. And that's what you know. My wife, my wife hears heard, heard the record and go. You're so up all the time. And you're so happy. Like this doesn't even sound like you. You know, like what are you doing? But I mean, when I when I sit down and to write, that's what comes out. Right. I mean, it's the stuff that that really has a deep. You know, something that's deep down in there that just comes out. I don't even know why. I, I don't know why. I don't even know why. Like, when I write a song, I don't even know what I'm going to write about. I really don't. I, I really don't. like the painting. No, I'm working on a song now. I've been working on it for a week, like an hour here, two hours there, just fooling around it. But it's, it's already changed. The subject matter of the song's already changed three times. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because yeah. I'll be writing something, I'll go, you know what, this really sucks. And then, but, but I like that line. And that's in the chorus. But I, don't, you know, why don't I just make that part of a verse? And it's just building, you know. And then, but this, this, this is how sometimes I write. You know, mm-hmm. the, what starts out as the chorus becomes the verse, and then the whole uh, message of the song changes. And then, you know, another part comes along, and that'll maybe take it in another direction. And you know, by the time I'm finished with it, it, it says something. But it's I didn't know that. I, I, you know, I have to look back to tell you how it got there. Like I have scribblers, like I, like sometimes I just write longhand, you know, like I'll just write the chords and write the song, you know, and then I'll, uh, I, I don't record anything. I never record anything. And uh, why? Because I think if it's really good, I should remember it the next day. And do you? I do. Wow, okay. And sometimes I don't. I think, well, it couldn't have been good. that good. You know, I mean, I played it for like three hours or something. Right. If I can't remember that the next day, was it really any good? <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Three hours are worth flogging that thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, so you're a drummer of a certain stature. You've been playing for many, many years. <clears throat> 47. 47 years. So hopefully you've got the, the drums down pat. <laughs> <laughs> down to a point where... Well, you whatever. don't really get them down pat, but you know, yeah. whatever. 
But okay, so but you have a certain level of musicianship that you're... I consider myself a professional drummer. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean. So you have a certain level of musicality that you've reached. Is it easy for your music, the the, stu- the stuff that you just start writing, to reach that same level? Oh, you know what? It's only in the last. It's only maybe in about the last year that I've felt like I could go out and play some of these songs and not be embarrassed about my playing. Right. You know, I mean, I, I'm not like I would never. I mean, come on, I play with guys like Kevin Bright. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. mean. I mean, Jesus Christ, it's really, really, really hard for me to think of myself as a guitar player. <laughs> I mean, I've played with the best guitar players around. Mm-hmm. You know. I played with Jack DeKaiser for a year. I played with, uh, like, I mean, all kinds of amazing musicians, you know. But I've come to feel, like, in the last year or so, I've come to feel like, well, you know, I can play my songs. Okay. And, I mean, I can play some pretty basic, I mean, there's some, you know, I could go out and play a couple of Neil Young songs or whatever without being embarrassed because, I mean, Neil Young is... He's a pretty basic guitar player. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's not like a a virtuoso guitar player. No. And but believe, an amazing songwriter. And believe me, I'm not. But I hopefully I'm I'm a decent songwriter. I mean, I to me it's important to uh I have that book too. It's cool. I've read <laughs> that. A, he's pointing three, out a book about songwriting. I've read it 3 times. That's a fabulous yes. yeah, book. Yeah, it was just given to me. Uh, anyway, inspiring too. Yes. But you know, I feel like at this point I can play a song and and I could sing a song for people and not be embarrassed about it. Like and and people would, I imagine they would like watch me and go, wow, you know, he plays like he plays like Gary Taylor. You know, I think I play guitar like like Gary Taylor plays guitar, <laughs> and I think that's okay. Right. And I don't think I I've gotten over, you know, that I'm never going to be Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Bright. Or, but it's more about the song than about you. It's being just a about the songs. Player. It's about the songs. Like as long as the music describes the song in a in a way that works for me, then I feel okay about it. You know, and sometimes I, you know, there's certain songs that I'll never play for anybody because I'm not good enough. I've written songs that are, that are beyond my <laughs> my technical. But have you thought about I mean, I could farming play them. them out to people and seeing if they would be interested? Well, I've already, ironically, uh, a good friend of mine, John, Can- uh, uh, John Candy, Bill Candy. Do you know Bill? No. He's a guitar player, singer, songwriter. He recorded one of my songs and put it on his CD before I was even finished doing my CD, first CD. Well, that's cool. Yeah, uh, because he just, he was looking for some tunes and he likes to go around to his friends and see what they're working on like Wendell Ferguson and different people. And he said, you know, you've been writing, you've been, I know you've been writing songs for a while. Like, can I hear some of them? And I'm like, yeah, well, whatever, okay. I mean, I wasn't really all that confident about doing that. But he said, well, no, I'll come over and I just want to hear these songs. So he came over one day and I played a few of them and he went, I want to record that, that song right there. And I, it's called Wear Your Yellow Dress. And I said, okay. And uh, so he did, and I ended up playing on on his CD. I ended up playing drums on one of my songs on somebody else's CD. How cool <laughs> before, is that? Before I even recorded any of my songs, I thought, wait a second. <laughs> you know, like, I that must have been a neat feeling, though. It was good, it, and and the song turned out 
I liked the way it turned out, and it was it, it was really cool. It was it was it was. I felt honored that he even wanted to record one of my songs, you know. And I would love it if other people recorded my songs, but I don't know how that works anymore. Yeah, there used to be a songwriter market, right? But I don't think it really. I don't. Know, I don't think it works like that anymore. I think you kind of have to like break, crack your way through the the shell somehow you know Uh, and and like i say i'm not even driven to do that you know (laughs) like my wife wonders why i even do it like she goes okay you did this cd now you're 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 still writing these songs why are you still writing i go well because i i love writing i'm really turned on to the songwriting process it's 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 addictive it really is i mean i'm i'm kind of it's satisfact it's 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 the satisfaction you get when you finish putting one of your emotional feelings across and putting it in a, in a little framework, uh, that's that's what it's all about. It's not about how much it's worth, who's going to buy it, who's going to sell it, who's going to put it on their wall. Like, it's about doing it. Like you, to me, it's like an extension of my therapy that I used to do with with Bruce. Bruce. Like, I used to talk about things, and he would. You know, I would be able to look at at that from a different perspective and and learn a little bit something more about myself or about the world that I live in. Right. The why do I react a certain way with certain people? Why you know the whole bit? Songwriting is incredible for that. Like I've written songs and you know really been it really into it, like right into it. And then six months later, it just goes into my book with all my songs. And then six months later, because every once in a while I flip through the book and just to re- make sure I can remember them. Because like, like I say, I don't record any of them. But you used to own a studio and, and record people, right? Yeah. Why would you not record this? Well, Why, I used just to get your phone and record it. I used to have a studio. Yeah. I used to have my own recording studio. For so, 12 years I had one. So why would you not record these things that you just... I don't... I'm not interested in it anymore. Like... I used to be an engineer. Like, I had my own recording in my own house. I had my studio. I built it, walls and walls, the whole bit, you know. And I used to demo people. People could... I, I, I recorded albums that got nominated for Juno Awards in that mm. studio. But I got burnt out on it. Like, I, 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 I get burnt out on things if I get too into them, you know. Right. And like I if, think you get really well, into things. Well, I was, like, at the, just to give you an idea, when I had that studio in my house... This was back in Parkdale. I had clients coming into my studio at one point, five days a week, eight hours a day. And I was playing at night, five and six nights a week. I, I was frying. I was frying my brain, mm-hmm. you know. And at a certain point, after years and years of doing this, I just got so fried on the whole thing. I had a huge bottle of aspirin sitting on my uh, mixing console and one day I looked at it and I went no this is no good you know because I, I was I had headaches all the time you know from listening to speakers all day and then playing all night and I, I had to make a choice and at a certain point I just went you know what I'm moving anyway my wife and I split up and I thought well I'm just going to leave this part of me behind I didn't exactly I ended up I ended up setting it up in my next place and doing a couple more projects. But I, I weaned myself off of it. And by the time I met my wife, who I'm with now, and we've been together for, oh God, 17 years, 
when I moved out to Brampton with her, I, I, I put my equipment in storage in the basement, and it's still there. It's still in storage in my basement. I haven't touched it. I haven't recorded anything since because I just, I don't want to get back into that. I've done that. And I've been there. And I mean, it, it would kind of make sense to do it now in a way. Well, you could just Because I've got all this time to yeah. sit at home. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even just last night, I was working on this song that I'm t- talking about. And I, and I thought, you know, maybe I should just get, a, get myself a little something. But you know what happens? <laughs> you get that little something. And, and then you get that other little something. And then you need a little better something. And then you need another. The next thing you know, you've spent like 80 grand on <laughs> on all these somethings. Yeah. And you're just a guy who's writing songs for himself. You know what I, you know what I mean? Yes, I do. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to be disciplined enough to just, you know, be a songwriter, enjoy the process. And if I record the odd thing... Like I might do another CD. I'm, I, I, I don't even know if it'll even be a CD because nobody even presses CDs anymore. It's right. like that's almost gone, you know. But I'll, 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 you know, I'll record them and I'll put them on uh, iTunes and stuff. Like my my stuff is distributed on iTunes and it's, it's in a bunch of different places out there where it can be downloaded and everything. And it's under your name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you know, it's available, and all you got to do now is just put it out there. I mean, there's no contract. There's no, there's no, you know, big deal. I mean, I, I with with my distribution deal. I mean, if I have if I want to pull my stuff off before a certain time, I have to pay them a little bit. But otherwise, it's just on there mm-hmm. in perpetuity, you know, for whatever. So at least it's getting into the world somehow. Right. And uh, that's good enough for me. I mean, like I'm not going to go out and try and be the new old guy. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm like you've got to be realistic. Like I'm 66 years old right now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and, you know, take the you know the scene by storm. Like I mean, it, it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> you know, well, and people go, I love it. My friends, they go, well, your songs are really good. And like Willie Nelson's old, and I go, Willie Nelson made it when he was in his 20s. Like people, he's established, long established. Like you know, you don't come onto the scene as a pensioner, and you know. <laughs> And, and create this, you know, and it just doesn't, doesn't happen that way, you know, and I'm cool with that. Well, you're a fascinating person. I'm glad we had this chance to um, chat, and I appreciate Oh, me too. This. There's more, too. <laughs> well, maybe there'll be a part two. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, there's the, you know, the Stephen King stories. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> the oh. Gary Taylor horror stories. <laughs> On the next podcast. Yeah, exactly. No, but I appreciate this. Thank you so much. Oh, well, I've I've enjoyed it. It was fun. Mm